Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Tonight on The Readout. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. Donald Trump calls it a perfect call, but it could very well lead to a perfect indictment as the wheels of justice begin moving much quicker for Trump and insurrectionists who tried to overturn the election. Also tonight, the easy access to weapons, the common thread in America's gun violence epidemic as California is stunned by back-to-back mass murders. Plus, Congressman Ruben Gallego joins me here in the studio as he launches his bid to evict conservative former Democrat Kirsten Sinema from the Senate. And the latest from the Devolder files, George Santos' curious claim of being mugged in the middle of the day on one of Manhattan's busiest and fanciest avenues. We begin the readout tonight with tangible evidence that when it comes to the January 6th assault on the Capitol and the attempt to subvert our very democracy, the wheels of justice are indeed actually turning. In the two years since the insurrection, the Department of Justice has made more than 950 arrests. Nearly nearly 500 of those people have pleaded guilty to a variety of federal charges. At least 40 have been found guilty at contested trials. Just yesterday, four members of the extremist group, the Oath Keepers, were found guilty of the most serious charge launched in the attack, seditious conspiracy. This follows November's conviction of two other Oath Keepers, including the group's leader, Elmer Stewart Rhodes, under the same charge. And right now, five members of another extremist group, the Proud Boys, including its former leader, Enrique Tarrio, are facing seditious conspiracy charges in their own trial that is presently underway. Also yesterday, this man, Richard Barnett, famously seen propping his feet up on a desk in the office of then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi during the insurrection, was found guilty on all eight counts against him including felony charges of civil disorder and obstruction of an official proceeding. He could face up to 20 years in prison. Add to that list three active-duty Marines assigned to intelligence-related jobs who were charged last week with participating in the attack, with court records showing that one of the Marines said that he was waiting for a second civil war. All of this to say, especially with the Oath Keeper convictions— that the DOJ believes that there was a conspiracy to overthrow the government, and they are winning convictions. And remember, it is not just the DOJ that is investigating the attempts to overturn the 2020 election. In Georgia, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis has been investigating whether Donald Trump and his lackeys committed any crimes while trying to overturn his election loss in that state. And today, a superior court judge heard arguments over whether a grand jury's extensive report should be made public. Willis noted to the judge that decisions on whether and whom to charge in the probe are, quote, imminent. But the big question that's still left unanswered is what, if anything, 
will happen to the man who is at the center of this conspiracy. Let's not forget, it was Trump who told everyone to come on January 6th because it was going to be wild. It was his former advisor who said all hell will break loose that day. And we heard from Cassidy Hutchinson during the January 6th hearings about Trump's lack of concern that the people he called on to march to the Capitol were armed. I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Now, of course, it wouldn't be the first time that Trump would have others commit a crime and go to jail on his behalf while he walks free. Just ask his former personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, who bribed a porn star to keep quiet about an alleged affair that Cohen wasn't even a part of. Cohen spent nearly 14 months in prison while individual one was in the clear on his golf course. And so now, while hundreds of these insurrectionists are seeing their lives ruined as a result of blindly following after Trump, not only is he just hanging around his various private golf clubs, but Trump is also presently a candidate for the very office he tried to steal just two years ago. Hashtag America. Joining me now is Jason Johnson, professor of journalism and politics at Morgan State University, MSNBC contributor and host of the podcast A Word with Jason Johnson. And Glenn Kirshner, former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst. Uh, you are at a disadvantage, my friend, Glenn, uh, and we miss you here at the table. So I'm going to go to you first, because I think Jason and I are of the cynical <laughs> we are of the same kind of cynical mentality about Trump that the and the Michael Cohen case is what kind of teaches me what what to expect, because Michael Cohen was convicted of committing a crime. He committed that crime not for himself, not because he had an affair with Stormy Daniels, but because Donald Trump did. And he paid money that he took out of his account and that Trump reimbursed him for because Trump wanted to cover that up, not him. He's the only one who paid for that crime. And so it seems to me that these, one might say, fools who threw their lives away. You know, we're talking about a 68-year-old OBGYN from Massachusetts, three active duty Marines, um, a guy who's, you know, had a job for 10 months and now lost all of his family. I mean, you can go through it, a real estate agent. All of these people are facing a few months to maybe years in prison. But Trump, it seems to me, has the protection of Merrick Garland, who I assume doesn't have whatever it is it takes to indict him. But what do you think? Joy, your lead in is so disheartening because there's so much crime and so little accountability when it comes to Donald Trump and his criminal associates because he didn't accomplish January 6th by himself. And thus far, only the boots of the insurrection, only his foot soldiers who he ordered to attack the Capitol and stop the steal are being held accountable. None of the suits of the insurrection, the hierarchy of the insurrection, the people of privilege and influence, none of them have been held accountable. But Joy, a little bit of a silver lining today. Okay. Enter District Attorney Fawny Willis. Okay, We can move away from Merrick Garland for the moment because I'll tell you, what I heard her say today, and she is a very sober, measured, determined prosecutor. And I heard her use two words that frankly got my justice Mm -hmm. juices flowing. And I want to quote (laughs) her precisely because here's what she said. She said, we think for future defendants, 
plural, to be treated fairly, it's not appropriate at this time to have the grand jury report released. And then she said my second favorite word, that charging decisions are imminent. And God bless Fonnie Willis, because we all know she has been thoroughly, aggressively, quietly sawing the justice wood in front of her. We learned today that she put 75 witnesses before the special grand jury, including, you know, people who desperately did not want to testify about Donald Trump's crimes. People like Rudy Giuliani and Mike Flynn, Lindsey Graham, they all ran to court. Please don't make me testify. And Fawny Willis beat everyone and put them in the grand jury and forced them to testify. And today she said, we don't want the grand jury report released because that would impact defendants, plural, right to a fair trial. She didn't use that word recklessly or cavalierly. She's contemplating, based on what we learned today, returning indictments against whoever it is the special grand jury recommended to, to be indicted. And she said, we're going to do it imminently. Defendants and imminently are two mm-hmm. words that I think we can hold fast to right now. And that's, I think, a lot, you know, listen, Glenn Kirshner's always wanted to talk me down and make me feel better about life. But I mean, so it is sort of ironic that it may come down to, to, the, to the black prosecutor in Georgia. Isn't it always? <laughs> does it always end up falling on the shoulder? A black woman's work is never <laughs> yeah, done. Exactly. Jason. It's never done. It's um, never done. I mean, and, and I mean, but the thing is, because she also does have a very clean case. I mean, Donald Trump is the one who said, listen, uh, I'm going to need 11,786 votes. I'm going to need it. He was on the phone. He said it on the phone. Yes. Yes. And so it seems very straightforward. Right. So talk about Fonnie Willis a little bit and what might be the impediments to her doing what it seems Merrick Garland might be afraid. Well, of. It, here's the thing. First off, she's got to still make the case. Right. She can yes. talk about imminent trials, whatever it is. You'd still have to win. Right. And then what are the consequences going to be? Right. Because there are variations to how you can be held accountable for attempting to tamper with a, uh, a tamper with an election. You could get fined. You could have short jail time. Mm-hmm. You could be suspended from running from office again. I don't care about small things. I want to see people go to jail. I am tired of corner boys being arrested while Stringer and Avon are still hanging out because that's essentially what's going on right now. Whether or not it's Donald Trump or Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, or, or, or Jim Jordan, there are members of Congress who are part of this as well, who haven't been held accountable. Yeah. So I, I, I believe in Fannie. I believe in what she's doing. But until I see, you know, Orange is the new Trump, until I see somebody in a jumpsuit, yeah. I am not convinced that any of this is accomplishing anything. And I'm sorry, but this is more than justice delayed. It was bad enough that Mayor Garland dragged all this time out until the, the Republicans basically took Congress. Now we're in a situation where we're depending on local state prosecutors to take down a former president? Yeah, It's never going to happen. And the thing about it is, Glenn, is... I, and you know, I, I am not saying that Mayor Garland isn't thinking it through or that Fonnie Willis hasn't thought through. I think they are. And here's the challenge. It's obvious that Donald Trump is the sole beneficiary of the attempted insurrection. I don't think anybody argues with that. But they also, everyone acting here knows that he still commands what amounts to militias, armed militias who are very clear about the fact that they are willing to be incredibly violent to protect him and that they'll protect him at all costs, including going to prison for him. So I think, do you think that the Justice Department or that Fonnie Willis has to look at it in that lens? We're not just facing a politician. You're facing really an insurrection movement that, to Jason's point, is now in charge of the House of Representatives. I don't think any prosecutor worth his or her salt 
looks at the collateral consequences of bringing a righteous prosecution and makes their prosecutorial decision based on those extraneous factors, based on how others might react if you bring a case that is supported by the evidence. And, you know, what I have such a huge concern about right now, even if Donald Trump does end up being indicted for the insurrection, and I still believe he will, and I still believe he must if we are to save our democracy. We've all heard the phrase justice delayed is justice denied. Justice has been delayed. I hope it's not entirely denied. But during the two-year period, Joy, what message has the Department of Justice sent to the next wannabe dictator who might try to overthrow our government? You know what? When you do it, we're going to give you a full two years to figure out (laughs) what your next move is. Boy, that is the opposite of promptly deterring criminal conduct. You're, you're, and, and you can hold on to classified documents for the whole of that time. <laughs> Keep them the holy two years. You can stuff them in the toilet, you can hide. Here's the thing, and, and Glenn, Glenn, you know I love you, but, but here's the thing, what he just described is exactly what Mayor Garland has done. He's just said, no prosecutor worth their salt allows larger political concerns to come. That is what Mayor Garland has been doing the whole time. He's been yeah. saying, I don't want to look unfair. I don't want this to be appear, appear to be partisan. I don't want to do this while somebody's running for office. We've literally seen that going on. Yeah. My concern is there is so much concerned about appearing to be fair, that no one is concerned about the fairness to everybody else in this country, that we are having our country slowly taken over by people who will do it either legally or through violence. And this is one thing that that, uh, does concern me. If you're talking about the danger, it's not just danger to democracy, it's danger to the men and women bring these cases. We saw in the January 6th hearings last summer that you saw local election workers who had death threats, who had to leave their homes and everything else like that. What kind of protection does Fannie Willis have? Is Brian Kemp going to keep her safe? Is Brad Raffensperger going to keep her safe? These are very realistic concerns. We have mass shooters in this country who do things because they're mad about their wives. What do you think Trump's people will do if this case starts moving in a direction that makes them uncomfortable? And the thing is, it does show you what the incentive structure is to behave in a way that says we're violent. You know, when you have a political party that advertises in its political ads, look at these guns I got. You want to see the guns my kids have got? You know, they all can shoot you. And they've advertised themselves as a violent political movement, and they're getting coddled as a result, which is the opposite of what you want to do in a democracy, in theory. Jason Johnson and Glenn Kirshner, who I love that you try to talk me down. Please come back and do it again. Um, Thank you both very much. Coming up, after the latest round of mass shootings, our country continues to ignore the one logical thing that we could do about it. I wonder what that is. I don't know. Thinking, thinking. The readout continues after this. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Scramble through our world-class golf courses or shop your way through the square. Be one with nature as you hike or bike through our parks and trails or hunker down at one of our breweries. And when it's time to eat, be sure to bite into our eclectic food scene. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. 
If you were like me, you woke up this morning looking to learn more about the innocent victims of the Monterey Park shooting in Southern California, only to discover that yet another mass shooting had taken place in Northern California. Yep. Monday afternoon, a 66-year-old man opened fire at two rural farms about a mile apart, shooting some of the victims in front of children who lived nearby. He left seven innocent victims in his wake. That wasn't the only mass shooting in the area. Earlier in the evening at a gas station in Oakland, at least one person was shot and seven others were wounded. Now, let me be clear. This was the second mass shooting in the Bay Area and the third mass shooting in California in three days. The San Mateo County Board President said the quiet part out loud. This is a horrific event, one that we would never imagine would occur in San Mateo County. In the end, there are simply too many guns in this country, and there has to be a change. California Governor Gavin Newsom has been visiting victims of the Mon- had been vic- visiting victims of the Monterey shooting, Monterey Park shooting, when he said that he got a call about the Monday night shooting. Hours earlier, he slammed our inability to address this uniquely American epidemic head-on. These just weapons of pure mass destruction. And the fact that that is not being addressed in this country is comical. It's disgraceful. It's offensive to the senses, to common sense, to dignity. You claim to care about your kids? We were just talking, the number one killer, number one killer of our kids last year was guns. The hell's wrong with us? We are only three weeks into 2023, and we've already had 40 mass shootings. Only in America. Joining me now is Eugene Robinson, columnist at The Washington Post and an MSNBC political analyst. It's so great to see you here in person. It's good to see you, Joy. Welcome to Washington. Despite the circumstances, right, (laughs) that we're trying to talk about. I mean, yes, and I do love being here. I mean, the thing about um, mass shootings is that they are so uniquely American. I mean, if you compare us to England or Australia and you look at the shootings per capita, we just dwarf. Any other developed country. Right. And we're, you know. 25 plus times as many yeah. gun violence deaths. In and more guns. Case. I mean, well, we. More guns. We have 334 million people in this country and 393 <laughs> million guns. Yeah. So we have like 1.2 guns per person. Right. Um, which is insane. Which is insane. And that's the difference. That's what separates us. There's mental illness everywhere, workplace grievances, video personal games. grudges, video games, you name it. All the dysfunction we have, the one difference is that here, hey, I want a gun. I want another gun. I want, you know, it's easier to buy a gun than almost anything else. To rent a car. Just as easy as anything else. Well, I mean, I, you think about it, 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 it's not just the fact that we have so many guns. The only country even close to us is Yemen, mm-hmm. which is yeah. currently in a civil war. Exactly. Okay, exactly. so and there's no other country even close. No, there's no Western country even close. No. But it's also the psychology of it. Mm-hmm. I've never seen, other than like Mogadishu in the 90s, mm-hmm. adults ride around and children with them mm-hmm. holding guns and brandishing them. But those were warlords in the middle of a civil war. Exactly. Our politicians do that on their Christmas cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. It's cultural. It's a, well, cultural, and it's a cult. It, 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 it's like cult worship of firearms. And, um, you know, it, I, I think we're even past the point where we can blame it all on the National Rifle Association, um, which has seen, you know, its glory days, right? There's an organization that's not, well, no, it's still gives money to politicians that still has political power, but a majority of NRA members would support Absolutely. universal background checks, you know, for any gun purchase, um, would, would 
be happy to consider banning assault weapons and understand perfectly well that, yes, you can tell what an assault weapon is and you can tell what, you know, when uh, what should be banned and what maybe shouldn't. Um, and, and so it's not just that. It's this this cult worship, this this article of faith among um, uh, certainly on the right wing uh, that. Everybody's got to have guns. Yeah. And, and but the, the thing is, you know, Kevin McCarthy, he's from California, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he finally got his precious. He's the speaker. Yeah, so people he's asking speaker. questions about things. And he was asked about it today and basically said, eh, yeah, you know, you know, we don't. Eh, California has strong gun laws. I mean, yeah, California has strong gun right. laws, but it's near states that have weak gun laws and people it, bring exactly. them to California. Your gun laws are only as strong as the gun laws as the the state with the weakest gun laws. Right. I mean, ba- basically, because you just go someplace else, buy the gun, and bring it back into California. California has very strong laws, but they can't keep out all the guns that people right. buy in Arizona. Yeah, and the, and the reality is, is if you compare California to a place like Mississippi or Louisiana or Wyoming or Alabama, the states with the mm-hmm. highest gun deaths per capita, right. the states where you people are really dying. <laughs> It's all these red states. It's Missouri. It's yeah. Mississippi. It's Louisiana. California actually has the seventh lowest firearm mortality exactly. rate in the country. Hawaii's yeah. number one. So it's like you literally, it's it's like with um, whether you are, as a woman, have the right over your own body. Mm-hmm. We live in two Americas. Yeah. And even yeah. in California, in the America that's trying, mm-hmm. they are basically subject to the law of the gun in all of the neighboring Absolutely. states. Absolutely. They, they are. And, and so that's why we need a national solution. And we cannot break this logjam, this deadlock in Washington that goes against public opinion, that goes against the nation's obvious needs, uh, and that permits this carnage, this this carnage day after day, year after year, mass shooting, 40 mass shootings in the first month of the year. I mean, it's just... It's obscene. And there's no other country where you go to the store and worrying about getting shot. It Absol- does not abs- happen anywhere Absolutely not. Anywhere and, else. And I'll tell you, you know, a, a bad guy with a knife is really bad. Yeah. But nothing like a bad guy with an AR-15. There you go. Uh, Eugene Robinson, always a pleasure. Thank you Great. very much. It's Great always so good here. to see you. Thank you. All right. Uh, still ahead. If you're more likely to be meeting with the powerful than the powerless... You're doing this job incorrectly. Arizona Congressman Ruben Gallego joins me on his decision to challenge Kirsten Cinema for her Senate seat and how he plans to defeat her in a potential three-way race. That's just after this quick break. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace. Yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.
Arizonans who voted for Democrat Kirsten Sinema in 2018 are plenty fed up with the now independent Senator Sinema, especially the progressive and Latino activists who worked tirelessly to get her elected. The New York Times noted progressives were already wary of Sinema in 2018, but they collectively held their noses to turn out the vote for her in hopes that she would reciprocate their support once in office. Senator Sinema has done little to reward their efforts, including her theatrical thumbs down to increasing the federal minimum wage to $15. There was also her opposition to allowing Medicare to negotiate lower prescription drug prices, gifts to private equity with tax loopholes, and of course, her intractable support for the Senate filibuster all of which has made Senator Sinema ripe for a Democratic challenger. And she's got a formidable one, Democratic Congressman Ruben Gallego. Growing up poor, the only thing I really had was the American dream, an opportunity. It's the one thing that we give every American, no matter where they are born in life. The rich and the powerful, they don't need more advocates. It's the people that are still trying to decide between groceries and utilities that needs a fighter for them. There is no lobbyist for working families. Joining me now is Arizona Democratic Congressman Ruben Gallego, who just announced that he is running for the United States Senate. Uh, great to see you, Congressman. Thank you for having me. So, you know, so, I mean, I guess the obvious question is because a lot of Democrats do have a bit of heartburn about the idea of a three-way race. So uh, we know that Arizona is a state with a very large Latino vote um, and growing. That's good for Democrats. It's good for you. But how do you actually carve out in a state that's basically one-third independent, one-third Democrat, one-third Republican, but Democrats are the smallest third? How do you win? Well, number one, uh, we have to understand that Kirsten Sinema is not popular with anybody. <laughs> so she's not winning Democrats. She's not winning Independents. She's not winning Republicans. Uh, you know, last poll we had, she's like in the 12 percent. So what we have to do is do our job, talk about our values, connect with Arizona voters and build that trust that Kirsten has lost. Uh, and we're going to be able to hold the Democratic uh, vote. And that includes Independents. That includes Republicans that vote for, for Democrats. Number two. We're going to reach out to Latinos. We're actually going to talk to them and actually talk to them about what they want to see in government. And a lot of times that's not happened in Arizona. I'm very proud that I've been able to lead that in my district. I've been very proud that I've been able to turn out Latinos all across the country as a former chairman of Bullpack. And we're going to do that because I think, number one, they're ready to turn out. Number two, I have an opportunity to talk to a lot of them that they've never seen a can this way. Uh, there aren't many Latino politicians that come from working class backgrounds yeah. that they, uh, you know, that also speak Spanish, that actually understands, you know, the, the full spectrum of what Latinos are, are dealing with right now. And I'm going to be able to talk to them about that. And I think we're going to be able to motivate them to come out. Yeah. And, you know, we, we were talking before the break about how, you know, years and years and years ago and Howard Dean and the 50 state strategy, et cetera. The idea among a lot of Democrats who were looking forward was that Arizona was eventually going to be a, a great uh, place for Democrats to operate yeah. because of the demographics. Yeah. Um, and you talk a lot about Latino voters. I feel like the party still doesn't quite understand how yeah. to speak to Latino voters, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, and they don't they, they they make a lot of assumptions. They do. Yes. Right. Absolutely. That aren't necessarily 100%. so. Um, yeah. And so you, your thinking is that you can shift that, but also pull enough Anglo voters to, 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 to well, get, because you got to get 50 plus, you know, right. it's a third, a third, a third. I, I, I know it because I've, I've done it. I've yeah. worked on different campaigns, but also like I understand the committee because like I, this is where I live, yeah. you know, and this is who I've been. Uh, Latinos are working class. They're aspirational. They want to live the American dream. I've lived the American dream. I want to make sure every American, whether they are Latino, black, 
white, working class, I want to make sure they have the same opportunity. And if we talk to them about that, we talk about how we're going to invest in them instead of invest in the rich and the powerful, they're going to come out and vote. Yeah. Uh, and what happens a lot of times is that because they don't vote, because they're not politically involved, we don't even try talking to them as if they don't deserve any type of representation. But they do. Like anybody else in this country, maybe they're not politically powerful, maybe they don't vote all the time, they still deserve representation. They still deserve someone actually caring about them and talking about them and fighting for them. Do you, I mean, um, Jahan Jones, who does our great readout blog, he wrote a piece that I thought was very illuminating for me, that Kirsten Sinema's opposition to the voting rights bill now seems quite self-serving, um, that it helps her, right? If you don't make it easier to vote, young voters, voters of color, that makes it harder for them. That's good for her. But what do you make of her big shift? She claimed to be friends with John Lewis. She, she made all these claims, right, that there's no backup for it. But now she's like thumbs upping. Mitch McConnell is saying that she's the best, the most, the best senator ever. Um, and she was literally high-fiving in Davos about killing voting rights. Who is she, and how did she get this way? She, I don't think she voted against voting rights because she had some cynical ploy to help keep her in office. It was, in my opinion, it's actually kind of worse than that. She did it to curry favor with the powerful, uh, the rich, and the Republicans. Uh, and this is her way to kind of show that she is a, she, it's her way of sticking it, uh, you know, to the Democrats. Uh, and, you know, for me, I, I worked with John Lewis. John Lewis came out and campaigned for me for my first congressional race. Uh, you know, I don't consider him a, a friend, I consider him a mentor, because he really taught a lot of us younger politicians how to be good leaders, how to yeah. be good leader servants. And for you to say that, you know, like she did for many years, that this man was my my friend, he was my mentor, and when you vote against his key legislative, uh, uh, you know, uh, bill. It's named after him. It's named after him. <laughs> yeah. Um, in order to appease, you know, some people that want to actually suppress voter rights, um, it, it just tells you where they are. Like, she's for sale. Yeah. And and that's the worst thing you could, ha- you could be in politics. Right. And I would need to see some evidence from the family that they were friends. I'm yeah. just saying. I mean, I, I'm not saying you're lying, but I'm just saying I just need to see evidence because we don't want to see yep. it. Uh, Congressman Ruben Gallo, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. All right. And up next, you may think that what Ron DeSantis is doing to Florida schools is unprecedented. Yeah, but that's not exactly true. I'll explain right after this. Between 1869 and the 1960s, hundreds of thousands of Native American children were forcibly removed from their homes and placed in boarding schools operated by the federal government. The children were punished for speaking their native languages. Their names were changed and their hair cut off. They were forced to study only English and convert to Christianity. This brutal campaign was a form of cultural genocide to further erase the indigenous population. And though this is an extreme example, America's practice of forced assimilation continues today. Like in Florida, where Ron DeSantis is barring education about race, gender, sexual orientation, or any part of history that might make white Christians feel bad. His education department has even rejected an advanced placement course covering African-American studies, saying the class indoctrinates students to a political agenda. It's a pot, really calling the kettle black situation because it's actually educational erasure that indoctrinates children. Children of color, who are the majority now, are taught nothing about themselves. Instead, they're force-fed lessons that only serve to lionize white, heterosexual Christian men. By design, it offers these young minds little choice but to assimilate into mainstream, i.e., white culture. As we know, this country has a history of that. 
also on the chopping block is intersectional knowledge. The idea that overlapping identities create unique dynamics in forms of oppression or discrimination, which is why DeSantis singled out the work of Kimberly Crenshaw, the scholar who coined the term intersectionality more than 30 years ago. But on Monday, DeSantis made it clear that he could use a course on what intersectionality even means. This course on black history, what are one of, what's one of the lessons about? Queer theory. Now, who would say that an important part of black history is queer theory? That is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids. <laughs> Joining me now is Kimberly Crenshaw, executive director of the African-American Policy Forum, as well as a law professor and host of the Intersectionality Matters podcast. I laugh because he is ridiculous, but it isn't funny, really. Can you answer um, the governor's question? Who would, who would need queer theory oh, in African-American right. studies? Right. He, he needs queer uh, theory, Joy. He needs intersectionality. He needs black feminism. You can tell the things he needs because those are the things that he most wants to eliminate from the AP African Studies, uh, African-American Studies course. Look, the reality is that if you have a view of history that says that what happened in the Constitution, what happened uh, with respect to enslavement, what happened with respect to uh, indigenous dispossession is as much a part of the story as the celebratory story that's told about. 1776, that's told about uh, manifest destiny, that's told about um, uh, World War I, World War II. You cannot do those histories without incorporating all of it. And that's effectively um, what he's saying doesn't matter. Can you imagine? Can you imagine um, someone saying that European uh, studies or Western civilizations has no inherent value whatsoever? What message is that giving to black children? What message is it giving to Americans? What message is it giving to the hundreds of scholars, black scholars, people who have knowledge that they've passed on and those who are writing and, 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 and thinking today? What message is that but that you don't count, your story doesn't count, your children don't count, and in the end, we can count you out of this democracy? You know, I, I find it funny that he says, well, what's the value there? How do you talk about Bayard Rustin uh, in, an, in an American history class or an African-American history class without talking about the fact that he was a gay man in a very awkward situation being the chief aide to Dr. King? How do you talk about James Baldwin when his, you know, his books, which are probably all banned in Florida schools, let's just be clear, you know, are, are dealing with himself as a, as a gay man? Like, you can't do bell hooks. They've already named her, said you can't read that. And so you're talking about, you know, authors that you can't read. You're talking about not being able to talk about Stonewall, which Marsha P. Jackson is a, is a, a you know, a, a queer black woman. Let it. So it's like you can't, you can only talk about history, as, as Professor Dunn said last night, if you rinse the race out of it and say some people enslaved some people, we really don't know who those people are. Exactly. And and we can include uh, Audre Lorde. You don't get a chance to talk about her, who's also uh, being named. You don't even get a chance to talk about the histories we're supposed to talk about. How can you talk about enslavement if you can't talk about what that meant for black women, who are largely responsible for creating the property upon which this country uh, was built? Um, how do you talk even about—you're supposed to talk about the Holocaust. You can't talk about the Holocaust without talking about how many of the 
the ideas that Hitler enacted, he borrowed from the United States. There's just a whole range of histories that are not being told. And here's the reason. This isn't about debates about the past. This is about debates about the present. This is a reaction to 2020. This is a reaction to new generations saying we care about equality in this country. We care about structural racism. We want to understand why 50 years after Brown versus Board, we still have schools that are more segregated than that time. We still have inequalities in health and wealth and all sorts of disparities. They want to understand the now, and you cannot understand the now by by erasing the past. And that's why DeSantis wants to do it. Here's the last thing, Joy. It's important for readers and viewers to know that this isn't a one-time, one-place problem. This is a part of a campaign that has been made up, a moral panic that is spread across the country. Forty-two states have tried to introduce some kind of a memory law to limit how we think and talk uh, about our past. So, Democrats need to wake up. People who care about our democracy need to wake up. This is going to be what the upcoming presidential campaign is all going to be about. A hundred percent about. This is the new Daughters of the Confederacy. These people lost the culture wars. They lost young white children who are curious and empathetic about other people, and they're trying to force them, lock them up in their schoolhouses, and they want them back. And they're saying, you know what we're going to do? We're going to ban books from you. We're going to strip you of knowledge, lock you in the schoolhouse with, I don't know, maybe you can just read the first, you know, just the Old Testament and the Bible and nothing else, uh, because they can't get them back any other way. Uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, thank you very much. Appreciate you. And up next, the dubious claims from Congressman George Santos just keep on coming. Latest head scratchers after this. Well, George Santos seems to have been been caught telling more farcical stories, this time in an interview for a Brazilian podcast shared exclusively with the great Rachel Maddow. The interview conducted in Portuguese started with Santos saying he survived an assassination attempt. Para uma festa de Réveillon com meu marido, a gente volta à nossa casa foi vandalizado porque a gente estava numa festa republicana na Flórida, entendeu? Em dezembro de 2020. Então, é aquilo. Eu já sofri vandalismo, a gente já sofreu atentado de vida, atentado de assassinato, carta ameaçadora, ter que ter escolta de polícia parado na frente da nossa casa. I've experienced vandalism. I've survived an assassination attempt. I have to have a police escort. Me. Uh, please protection for someone not even elected to public office yet? And that's not the only uh, absurd claim that he made. In ja, in, no, no verão de 2021, no meio da Quinta Avenida, com a, com a, 50, com a 55, eu fui assaltado por dois homens antes que qualquer pergunte, não foram negros, eram brancos, inclusive, mas eles me assaltaram, levaram a minha pasta, levaram o meu sapato e o meu relógio. E isso foi na, na luz do dia. Eram três e pouca da tarde, eu estava saindo do meu escritório, indo para a garagem, pegar meu carro, e eu fui assaltado. Ah, a minha casa foi violada, foi... Eles arrancaram o seu sapato em plena Quinta Avenida? Sim, em plena Quinta Avenida. Um, é, e o, o pior de tudo não foi isso, ninguém fez nada. Ninguém fez nada. O medo é, 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 é real, é surreal que a gente vive aqui. In case you missed that, they, they weren't black, they weren't white, they stole my shoes, they stole my watch, nobody did anything. They stole his shoes and his watch uh, in the middle of Fifth Avenue? Okay, let me just show y'all what that very same intersection in Midtown, 55th and 5th, looks like. You have the St. Regis Hotel, various fancy clothing, watch and jewelry stores, and a church. 
Uh, Rachel's team has reached out to Santos for evidence of all of these claims, and uh, they put in a request from the NYPD for a police report on the incident. Uh, and they haven't heard back. <laughs> Joining me now is Wajahad Ali, columnist for MSNBC Daily and author of Go Back Where You Came From and Other Helpful Recommendations on How to Become American, out now in paperback, very appropriate title. So, you know, at a certain point, <laughs> he should just say he's Superman or Yo, he's president. Yeah. I mean, George Santos, uh, Anthony Devalder, Batman, Spartacus, <laughs> the third man on the moon, the former president of Estonia. Indeed. Uh, the, the almighty George Santos. Look, we laugh and we should laugh because this man has lied about being Jewish. He's lied about his mother dying in 9-11. She did not die. He's lied about his financial background. He's lied about his educational background. But really... I say he's right where he belongs, right across the street in Congress with the GOP, because why shouldn't he lie, Joy? Yeah. The, the head of the GOP is still Donald Trump, a man who lied more than 30,000 times, twice impeached president, who led a violent insurrection. And they're like, eh, nobody's perfect. That's right. No, so George I, Sanders could do anything he wants. I, I, I just, you're, you're saying exactly what I've said, is that, you know, Donald Trump said he was first in his class in high school. He <laughs> said that he graduated from Wharton Business School at the top of his class. He said he was a billionaire very mm. for years. He wrote in his a very famous book, you know, about, you know, the art of the deal. Which he didn't write. That he, that he didn't even write, that he was Swedish. He's mm. German. Right. Like, he literally has, I mean, so I don't really see a huge material difference between George Santos and him. Well, th that's the problem, right? Because in addition to these lies, there's also these alleged financial crimes that he did. He's yes. under federal and local investigation for campaign finance violation. And even earlier today, just two hours ago, another lie that he says, oh, that personal loan that I right. gave to my campaign worth $500,000. It wasn't a personal loan. So where did that money come from? Right. And so, so this is the character of the GOP. This is why Kevin McCarthy says, eh, innocent until proven guilty. I need yeah. your vote, George Santos, if that's your name. <laughs> he is right where he belongs, right there across the street in Congress. Why should he resign? Yeah. Why should he? I, I agree with you. But dream with me. What happens if he gets indicted? I mean, I, I, first of all, Kevin McCarthy, uh, I'm assuming, will be doubled over crying in a corner if he gets indicted because he needs he's only like four votes away from getting voted out by one guy. Mm. So what happens, do you think, if he gets indicted? Anything? I think Kevin McCarthy does that for fun. Uh, and Marjorie Taylor Greene just whips him and he says, thank you. Can I have another? Too soon? My bad. I'm so sorry. Too soon. Uh, I think it's perfect. Look. This is a party that supports a violent insurrection. This is a party that supports Nick Fuentes, a white nationalist who yeah. now is on Twitter. Yeah. This is a party that supports the Oath Keepers, Proud Boys. It supports violent extremist conspiracy theories that have radicalized individuals to commit violence. Why will they not accept George Santos? Yeah. And what's really hypocritical here, what really pains me about this and angers me, is that they're perfectly fine with George Santos doing drag. But they're attacking LGBTQ communities. That's right. Well, I mean, they were fine with Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani doing drag, right? They thought that was fun. Or Madison Cawthorn. Well, until he talked about the, uh, the cocaine, cocaine and sex yeah, parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't talk you about the cocaine and sex parties. Well, it's like Kanye. They were perfectly fine with Kanye when he went, you know, you go half Hitler. Don't yeah. go full Hitler. Don't go full Hitler. Yeah, full Hitler, is. that's when you have to, you know. Well, at the same time, though, I mean, they kind of were okay with full Hitler, too, because he went on Fox News with Tucker Carlson. Right. They cut the parts of the interview that they knew would be the most egregious and kept the rest of it. They knew everything that he thought, and they were fine with it. So it is a, a, a party without limits. It's a party without limits. It's a party without any bottom whatsoever. And what's really shameful about this is that George Santos represents the party, the right-wing extremism, where there's no morality, there's no ethics. It's about winning at any cost. And look, even his fellow Republicans in Nassau County have said, yeah. please resign. But Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, says... He's my guy. Well, I mean, the thing is that what Trump has established, I think, more than anything else, is that you never apologize and you never resign and you never go away. Nope. And he doesn't have to. And I don't see the incentive for him to do it. He could literally be there for two years and we'll just have a new fanciful, a new fanciful claim every every day. It's like conservative herpes. You can never get rid of it. <laughs> 
said that, not me. I, 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 I await the pictures of him on the moon. That the <laughs> yeah. real moon landing yeah. uh, scandal is not that they didn't actually land on the moon. It's that George Santos is the one who did it. Yeah, and may, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I said he was the third. My apologies. He was the first man on the moon. He was the first man on the yes, moon. Yes. He was actually the only man on yes, the moon. The yes. only man who's ever been to the moon. In drag, but he was doing it In for dra- fun. That's correct. And yeah. I think at the time his name was Kitara. Yes. Right, exactly. Yes. And he's going to be played on SNL, which the best part of the George Santos, the whole thing is that SNL has nailed George Santos yeah. because there is that that's literally the best place that he is. He's a walking caricature, but unfortunately he's a congressman. This is what's so shameful. He's a congressman sitting right there across the street in the U.S. Congress representing this district. And even though half of the Republicans want him to resign, he won't because yeah. he knows Kevin McCarthy needs his vote. And yeah. again, if Donald Trump is still the number one leader of MAGA, why yeah. should I resign? Why should he resign? And the last question I do have to ask you is that, you know, I think that the, the real story about George Santos is really about Kevin McCarthy. It mm. is his lack of moral authority. I think a real speaker, a Nancy Pelosi style speaker, could actually drive out an embarrassing member like that. I actually don't think he has the, the power to do it. And he is owned by Marjorie Taylor Greene, who now has a committee assignment, even though she advocated violence against That's her right. colleagues and supported a violent insurrection. And just last month said, yeah, if I let it and it was armed, we would have been successful. And, and he has basically admitted she's his boss. Uh, Wajahat Ali. It's always great to see Thank you. you. Thank you very much for being here. That is tonight's readout. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace.